actually, to begin with, um, after listening to the Dharma talk of Sky last night, I know I wasn't in the hall. I came in a little bit late. I arrived a little bit late, so I sat around the corner and listened to it. I was very tempted when I walked by the hall and I saw that beautiful flower, the orange one, in front of the statue, just to pick that flower up <laughs> and hold it up and just enjoy its silence with you. <laughs> um, but Carol already told me like two weeks ago that I cannot do that. <laughs> I have to say something. So that's what I'm going to do. And um, I would like to start tonight's talk with a story I have heard many years ago when I was also sitting along retreat. Um, I think it was told by Tara Brack at that time. She's um, teaching in Washington, D.C. And um, it's the story of a man called Jacob. And the story at the time I heard it has really deeply touched me and touched my heart. And it has stayed with me. Like it keeps coming up, especially in those times when I feel struggle or when I feel unsure why I'm doing all this practice, you know, when it's like in those hard times. So I just wanted to offer this story to all of you. And maybe some of you know it, so you just hear it again. And maybe for some of you it's a new story. Um, and it's the story of a man called Jacob, and he's a clinical psychologist by profession. Um, he has retired by now. And he has been meditating for over 20 years. And occasionally he would even give Dharma talks to little groups in his area and just, you know, share the Dharma with everyone that was around. And Jacob was diagnosed with Alzheimer. And as the disease progressed, he experienced times in which his mind would go totally blank. Like he didn't know where he was. He sometimes didn't even have access to words, and he would become very disoriented. Yeah. And one day, as he was scheduled to give a Dharma talk, he was feeling fine going up there. He was even feeling fine, you know, moving up the aisle to take his seat. But in the moment he sat down, his mind went totally blank. He didn't know where he was. He didn't know who all the people were, why he was sitting there. He was just completely blank. But since he had been practicing mindfulness for such a long time, what he did was just, he did a pause, and then he slowly took his palms in front of his heart together, and then he kind of did a bow, and then he was just naming out loud what he was experiencing inside. Afraid. Embarrassed. Confused. Feeling like I'm failing. Powerless. Shaking. Sense of dying sinking, lost. And he did so for a couple of minutes until slowly, slowly, 
his body would start to relax and his mind would go calmer, which he also would note. And then slowly, slowly he would kind of get a sense again of where he was. And then he would apologize. You know, he would just kind of bow to everyone, would apologize, and, um, you know, just look around. And when I heard that story, it so deeply touched me. It touched my heart just very deeply, and I can still feel it when I tell it. And it, it was just that sense of presence, you know, he kind of delivered. And one person in that group has put it really well. He said, no one has ever taught us like this. Your presence has been the deepest teaching. And that it has been for me. So what I would like to talk about tonight is acceptance. Because that's so deeply represented for me in this story and in the way Jacob dealt with such a difficult situation, you know, not knowing where you are, not knowing what to do, and, you know, feeling all those terrible feelings inside. And to me, the way he dealt with it by just putting his hands together, you know, in front of his heart and bowing, is such a deep gesture of just being present with respect and kindness and openness. And at the same time, he really even had this courage to name out loud what was happening and share it with everyone. So he was also showing all his vulnerability, you know, just really being truly with what is there and allowing it to be just as it is. So that's one part of the story that has always touched me. The other part that has always touched me is it has really inspired me to practice. Because we don't know. We don't know how it's going to go on, like how much we have a certain sense of control of our mind, you know, in what kind of stressful situations we maybe get. And what usually happens if we get into those kind of situations is our habits come up. And depending on what we have conditioned, that's what's going to come up. So for me, Jacob, in a way, really represents this deep longing inside of me or this deep um, aspiration inside of me to really practice in order to be prepared. And I mean, and the, you know, the moment where it surely comes is the moment of death. And I just have that sense, as much as I can, I would like to be prepared to have those kind of wholesome qualities as much as I can um, condition in this mind. So they hopefully come up when appropriate. So that's why I want to pick acceptance in a different qualities as the theme for tonight. Because I think it has been a big part of my own practice. And it still is. <laughs> it's not done. And um, as the Buddha says, what one frequently thinks and ponders upon 
that becomes the inclination in the mind. So for me, this really resonates so truly. It's like what frequently is thought about and pondered about, that is where the mind will incline to. That is where it will go, especially in those moments of stress. So I would like to start with just maybe saying a few definitions on what acceptance is. I mean, the thing we always do first is kind of we look it up in the dictionary. And um, so I found two definitions. The first one was acceptance means the act of taking or receiving something that is offered. And then I looked at another dictionary and it kind of stated the same beginning. It's the act of taking or receiving something offered, but then it added with approbation satisfaction, or acquiescence. So that actually for me kind of was interesting because it kind of showed like that there's a degree of acceptance. It's almost like acceptance can go on deeper and deeper and deeper levels. And I thought that was interesting that even the dictionary made that kind of distinction. And um, the verb accepting actually was defined as Willingly or readily receiving. So that sounds pretty much like a lot of our instructions, right? Like receiving what is. Being willing to be with what is. So, you know, a lot of what presence is for me has this underlying tone of acceptance. To really be willing to be there, to show up to be open, to receive, to let in. Tara Brack, who wrote the book Radical Acceptance, defines it as recognizing the truth of this moment without resistance. And she calls that immediate openness. So it's like really to be there. And another way one could put it is Body and mind are not tensing against anything that is. So there's like no tensing, not in the body, not in the mind. It's just an openness to receive, be with. And Guy actually told me when I told him like a week or two ago that I was going to talk on acceptance, that one of his first talk was an acceptance talk. And... Um, he said that he had kind of put out at that time that radical acceptance is an approximate um, form of enlightenment in the here and now, in the present moment. There's no leaning towards anything, and there's no pushing away anything or kind of hiding away from anything. You know, It's just being there no movement towards or away from, just being there. So maybe we pause here for a little moment and just sense what you're experiencing right now in this moment. 
You don't have to do anything special. Just be aware what is present right now. Is it allowed to be there? Is it allowed to be just as it is? Or can you sense that there's a little resistance? Or maybe not little. Maybe it's gross resistance. And if there is, is that resistance allowed to be there? Can you feel the resistance? How does it feel? How does resistance feel? Do you feel it in the body? Do you feel it in the mind? Just be aware. What's the attitude in the mind right now? So for me, in a way, accepting very often means just to broaden the space for what is. Just to let it get a little bit more spacious, a little bit more spacious each time. With a very soft kind of tone in the mind. And as Joseph has said it in one of the interviews a week or two ago, if you're struggling, there's always something you're not accepting. And I have found that to be very true. And in my own practice, for the last few years, whenever I feel there's, you know, struggle or tension, or I sometimes call it nodding up, Um, I sometimes just drop in that question. So what is not being accepted right now? And just leave that space open and to see what comes up. But that sometimes helps to just broaden the space a little bit. As you probably all have experienced, um, we all have those places inside we don't so easily accept or admit or, you know, can let be there. And um, actually, about a year ago, one of my colleagues at work, she gave me this cartoon, and I tried to enlarge it, so it's not the whole thing, but maybe you can see it at least a little. And when she gave it to me, I right away found it very funny, which is unusual for me. Like, I very often don't get cartoons. (laughs) Or it takes me a while, and then I'm like, hmm, yeah, it's kind of funny, but it's not, you know. But somehow with this cartoon, um, I really liked it, and I found it really funny. Um, So it shows, I don't know how well you can see this, but I explain it. Um, it shows those two bees, 
in the, as I was told, beehive. That's how you call it, right? <laughs> and what you can see, you know, like a beehive, it has all those six angled cells, right, out of wax. So those two bees are standing on that hive with all those six angled um, cells. And one of them is holding a map which actually also shows a beehive with all those six angled cells and is you know, studying it really hard. And then the subline is, face it, Fred, you're lost. <laughs> so I found it really funny. I'm glad you find it funny because when I showed it to my partner, it was very interesting because usually he's very good at cartoons. He didn't get it. <laughs> and um, I kind of recollected that that maybe has to do with certain situations we sometimes have when we go on vacation. <laughs> Where I feel like, well, we're driving somewhere, and at some point, I just feel, well, we don't really know where we're going anymore. <laughs> so we have the map, but it somehow doesn't feel like we really know where we are going. So I will, you know, kind of just point out, well, maybe we should ask someone. <laughs> 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 Which usually means that he will take the map, you know, <laughs> and just, no, no, we are almost there. It must be right around the corner. <laughs> Accepting being lost. <laughs> and I must admit in my own practice, I remember, it's, it's been years ago, but um, I think it was actually a talk Carol gave, um, where she mentioned like, that she sometimes just notes feeling lost. And it was such an aha moment for me. It was like, oh, yes feeling lost. I can just be with feeling lost. How does feeling lost feel? You know, how does vagueness feel? How does cloudiness feel? And just really be with that instead of, you know, trying to get it clear right away again. What's going on? You know, and just, ah, oh, not knowing. And um, so for me, those are just all those little examples, how hard it is most of the time to really let it be as it is, to really feel it as it is right now, and not to try to make it just a little bit better or to make it just a little bit different or as Joseph has said many times to just if I watch it enough or if I observe it enough then it will change. <laughs> no, it's just what if it's just like this? Can I feel that? In um, 
Sharon Salzberg's book, um, A Heart as Wide as the World, I have found a story about the Dalai Lama. And as we all know, the Dalai Lama is a very bright and wonderful being. And so often it's just an example to maybe do things a little bit differently than we usually do them. So that's one of the stories where I really feel that he has such a capacity to be with a certain lightness with what is. A few years ago in Tuscan, Arizona, the Dalai Lama gave a week-long series of teaching on patience. Over 1,200 people attended the event. One of the nights, the Dalai Lama was explicating a chapter of Shantideva's Guide to the Bodhisattva's Way of Life, an 8th century text covering the entire path to enlightenment. Moving line by line through the manuscript, the Dalai Lama presented his commentary in Tibetan. And while it was being translated, he examined the upcoming lines he would speak on next. The Dalai Lama's English is quite good, and at one point during a translation, he looked up from the manuscript and said to the translator, you are mistaken, that's not what I said. The disagreement that followed was about a matter of syntax. Whether Shantideva, in establishing a point about patience, had said, she said that to him, or he said that to her. <laughs> the translator responded by saying, No, Your Holiness, I did not make a mistake. In fact, the text says, he said that to her. The Dalai Lama replied, No, it says, she said that to him. I mean... Quite a courageous translator, right? <laughs> the translator again disagreed, and they discussed it back and forth for a while. He said that to her. No, she said that to him, and so on. The Dalai Lama then turned back the pages of the next until he got back to the disputed section. He looked at it, then burst into loud laughter, saying mirthfully, Ha, ha, ha. Oh, I made a mistake. <laughs> there he was, having been caught in an error in front of 1,200 people, laughing uproariously about it. Can you imagine? I don't know if I, you know, just with that small group, <laughs> you know, could be so light about making a mistake. Oh. Making a mistake, it's like this, feels like this. Very different conditioning than we usually have, right? So being on a long retreat like this, I really feel it's such a great opportunity to really practice this allowing of what is. There's a fairly safe container, probably most of you feel. There's not much you have to do and take care of. There are not many outward actions you have to take in terms of you know, relationship and responding to what people say or want from you. So it's really quite an opportunity just to allow yourself to go inside. 
and to be with those places that are so hard to open up to, that we so easily either try to skip over, you know, oh, it's not like that. It's already, you know, it's already better than that. Or where we just kind of don't get close to. Yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of in the back there, but let's leave it there. So this kind of space I have found to really allow myself to be as honest as I can with what's actually there. Sometimes it's painful and sometimes it's joyful. Sometimes it's dull and sometimes it's actually very interesting. Sometimes there's wisdom coming up. Sometimes, well, it's just propancha over and over and over again. So even if it's papancha, like I have more and more really incorporated in my practice to drop in that question, what's the attitude right now? Oh, I don't want this. Oh, resisting. Can I be with that resistance? Stop thinking. Oh, judging. (laughs) Is that judging allowed to be there? And just to really be as honest and open as I can with what's coming up. So one aspect for me of acceptance, which I have probably already pointed out, is this softness, is this kindness. You know, this meta-quality. You know, not in a huge way, just in a very soft kind of tone, just in a very um, loving kind of tone to be with what is. And that can mean, it doesn't have to be, you know, all open right away. That can mean just, you know, a tiny little bit further each time I touch it or I sense it, or I feel it. Um, By surfing through the internet, I have actually found another story, um, which just kind of popped up. I wasn't really looking for it, Um, but which has really touched me. And it's called A Story of True Love and Acceptance. This is what true love is all about. It was a busy morning, approximately 8.30 a.m., when an elderly gentleman in his 80s arrived to have stitches removed from his thumb. He stated that he was in a hurry and he had an appointment at 9 o'clock a.m. I took his vital signs and had him take a seat, knowing it would be over an hour before someone would be able to see him. I saw him look at his watch and decided, Since I was not busy with another patient, I would evaluate his wound. On exam, it was well healed, so I talked to one of the doctors, got the needed supplies, and removed his stitches and redressed his wound. 
While taking care of his wound, we began to engage in conversation. I asked him if he had another doctor's appointment this morning, as he was in such a hurry. The gentleman told me no, that he needed to go to the nursing home to eat breakfast with his wife. I then inquired as to her health. He told me that she had been there for a while and that she was a victim of Alzheimer's disease. As we talked, I asked if he would be upset if he was if she would be upset if he was a little bit late. He replied that she no longer knew who he was, that she had not recognized him in five years now. I was surprised and I asked him, and you still go every morning even though she doesn't know who you are? He smiled as he patted my hand and said, she doesn't know me, but I still know who she is. And I had to hold back tears as he left. I had goosebumps on my arm and thought, that is the kind of love I want to live, have in my life. True love is neither physical nor romantic. True love is an acceptance of all that is, has been, will be, and will not be. So how can we work with acceptance? One thing I find really important to point out, acceptance is nothing we can get at will. It's nothing where we can go, I want to be accepting right now. It doesn't work that way. It's a process of letting go, of opening up. So Tara Brack in her book has outlined these three steps I have found really helpful. She says the first step is you're just having the intention to be open and acceptant with what is present. So the first step we always take is just to incline our mind towards, to have that intention to be more and more accepting as we go along. Then the second step is kind of what I also pointed out, the softening of the mind around what is. It's just, can the mind just soften and maybe touch the edges of what is so unpleasant, of what is so uncomfortable, of what is so fearful, and just very softly, you know, get in contact. Slowly, slowly, just touching it. And to kind of help with that, I have found different ways to be helpful. Sometimes I have found it helpful just to pay attention to the space behind my eyes. Sometimes it's just been this tiny little bit of softening the space behind my eyes and just kind of letting it drop almost. That helps me to soften the mind and be accepting with what is. Sometimes it has been helpful to just whisper this little, okay, this too. Yes, this too. May this too be there. May I care for this too. 
at other times I actually have found that as Jacob did as outward bowing after I heard that story, that I just kind of inwardly do this little bit of bowing to what the experience is right now. Just a tiny little softening and bowing and respecting of what is. Sometimes, as I have said, I drop in the question, either what is not accepted right now, or the question, what's the attitude in the mind right now? Just another way of allowing to be there what is there. Another way I have found really helpful um, is often taught by Ajahn Somedo, um, a monk in the Thai forest tradition. And the phrase, is, the phrase he often uses is, oh, it's like this. Oh, anger. Anger feels like this. In my experience, it had just helped at times to take away this, it's me being angry, to, oh, there is anger. How does anger actually feel? Can I be interested? Can I be open to explore? What's anger like? Even though it's very unpleasant, how does it feel? And one last possibility I at times have used, it's just having the sense of putting a tiny little smile, I mean, not you know in a big way or kind of to smiling over something. It's more like to just letting the sides of the lips move up a tiny little bit to say, okay, may this be here. May I open to it. And we actually know from modern scientific studies that smiling and like the muscles that are, that are involved in smiling, they actually really open up um, a relaxation of our nervous system. I mean, I've read many studies where it actually shows that this usual, you know, fight, flight, freeze reaction we have, it's just kind of put aside a little bit because, you know, usually we smile when there's friendliness, when there's openness, when we can relax with our surroundings. So it just kind of helps to, um, and there's, there also have been studies showing that, that the perception just kind of changes a little bit, you know, in terms of being more open to what is and, you know, having more like a positive tone kind of in the mind towards what is. And again, not as a way to kind of you know, get around something or, you know, to, to get over it, just as a way to really opening up to it as it is. And then this third step Tara um, points out is the step of surrendering. And this surrendering can just go deeper and deeper and deeper. Just this really surrendering to as it is. 
to life as it's unfolding in this very moment. And to me, that has a very mysterious quality. It has this don't know quality. There is an unfolding and there is a process. And there's probably a lawfulness in this process, which I don't always understand. But that's how life is unfolding right now. That's the Dharma. That's how it is. Our conditioning is just usually a very different one. We want to, you know, say how it is. We want to control how it is. We want to have it our way. It's a, it's, it's a tiny shift, but it's a deep shift to this receiving mode. How is it? What I find important with this to point out is to strengthen this quality of acceptance doesn't mean that we don't have boundaries. I find that very important. It doesn't mean that we just go over our needs or that we let others do whatever they want to do with us. To me, acceptance and wisdom or wise discernment really go together. But it needs a certain acceptance and allowance to really be with the situation as it is for wisdom to arise and to really find what's the appropriate response. I have always liked, I don't know which Zen master it is, but like, a Zen master's explanation or definition of enlightenment. He said, well, it's the appropriate response. So that means, you know, whatever comes up, can we be with it, open up to it, really feel it, and then see what comes up out of that, not in trying to figure it out, but just to let it evolve as it comes up. And then take whatever action it needs. So acceptance doesn't mean that we don't take action. Actually, in my own experience, I have found the more I have been accepting with what is coming up, the stronger at times I can really make a statement if I find something inappropriate or if I find that someone has hurt me. The more I have really felt how the hurt has come about in me, the better I can actually um, say it out loud so that the other person might understand and actually feel the impact of what he or she has done. So that's one part. The other part I find really important to point out, and maybe that's because I'm also a psychologist and I have that kind of background, is um, it's It also needs skillful means at times, especially when it comes to traumatic experiences. Like if we sometimes have those kind of experiences coming up, it needs a skillful way to actually be with it. There's no use in just, you know, feeling overwhelmed over and over and over again. That just kind of our nervous system just, you know, kind of fries. Um, So 
as we teach very often, you know, it can be very skillful to be with something, and it can just be for a tiny little moment, and then just return to a place where it's more neutral or even comforting. And then when the mind is more relaxed and open and balanced again, we maybe can touch it again. For as long, you know, as it goes, but then when we feel more and more tightening or more and more overwhelmed coming up, well, we can just go back to that place of refuge, either the breath or the touching of the hands or the touching of the feet with the floor or listening to sounds, whatever that is for you. But just to really um, be skillful in letting the mind stay balanced. And in my own experience, I have tried many times to just focus down on something and just, you know, wanting to get through there. Well, it's painful. It's the painful way. (laughs) So just to really be aware of that wanting, that striving, you know, that pushing, and include that, feel that. It's, It's also fine to be there, but just to be aware of it, to include it. So that kind of brings me to um, another aspect of acceptance I have found so valuable. And it's that acceptance of trust. Because to really accept and let be there what is, it, it's actually like a little jump, at least in my experience. It's like, It's a little jump into the unknown. We don't, there's no knowing how it's going to unfold if I actually just completely let it be as it is. Let it get as wide as it wants. Let it get as tiny as it wants. Let it get as strong as it wants. There is no knowing ahead of time how it's going to unfold. So for me, it really takes that quality of trust to allow, to really drop into the experience, to feel it as it is. And um, Ajahn Chah, one of the masters um, in the Thai forest tradition, he has died by now, um, has put it in a beautiful quote, I find. And he said, when I had been practicing for only two or three years, I still could not trust myself. But after I had experienced much, I learned to trust my own heart. When you have this deep understanding, whatever occurs, you can let it occur, and all things will pass on and be quelled, You will reach a point where the heart tells itself what to do. It is constantly prodding, constantly mindful. Your only concern needs to be to continue contemplating. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, it's just like trusting the heart, trusting the mind, trusting the Dharma, 
how it will unfold. Just trusting that process. There's no I need it. It's going to unfold the way it unfolds. So maybe another way to put it um, comes from, or I first came upon it in the um, commitment and acceptance therapy, which is becoming quite popular, especially in working with chronic pain. And that's kind of the work I'm doing. So, um, and actually one interesting side is um, I just a couple of weeks ago came across someone who's also been working for years and years and years with patients and chronic pain. And what she says is that actually 90% of the pain is the holding of the pain. It's not the sensation of the pain itself that's so painful. It's the holding and trying to control and trying to, you know, be with it in that way and not really allowing it to be there. So she has really taken a pretty radical approach by now in working with patients with chronic pain. And um, like in that um, therapy approach, which is very much based on mindfulness and acceptance and commitment to your own values, um, they use the image or metaphor of quicksand. So they say acceptance is like pretty much the same like dealing with quicksand. So I've used that for a while, but then before preparing for this talk, I kind of thought, maybe, well, maybe I look it up on the internet. What's actually the instruction for dealing with quicksand? <laughs> and it's very interesting. It's, um, you know, you probably, most of it one-to-one, -one, you could kind of translate for meditation instruction. So the steps they kind of say is, the first step is, if possible, avoid quicksand. <laughs> so if I maybe translate that, if possible, avoid struggle. <laughs> well, if you couldn't for some reason and you got into quicksand, the next step to take is drop everything. They say, because your body is less dense than quicksand, you can't fully sink unless you panic and struggle too much, which will cause the sand to further liquefy, or you're weighed down by something heavy. So if we can, and sometimes we can, there's struggle. Sometimes it just needs this little, oh, may I let that go? Oh, I've seen that story. 1,575 times. May I let it go this time? Sometimes it works. The next thing they say is, relax. Relax. <laughs> Quicksand usually isn't more than a couple of feet deep. If you panic, you can sink further. But if you relax, your body's buoyancy will cause you to float. The next thing they say is, breathe deeply. <laughs> <laughs> 
not only will deep breathing help you remain calm, it would also make you more buoyant. Keep as much air in your lungs as possible. <laughs> it is impossible to go under if your lungs are full of air. Then the next step they're saying, and that's the one where it really involves the trust, it's get on your back. I mean, can you imagine you're in quicksand? And what you're supposed to do is completely get on your back. If you sink up to your hips or higher, bend backward. The more you spread out your weight, the harder it will be to sink. Float on your back while you slowly and carefully extricate your legs. Once your legs are free, you can inch yourself to safety by using your arms to slowly and smoothly propel yourself. If you are very near the edge of the quicksand, you can roll to hard ground. I mean, that involves a lot of trust. And it totally, totally, totally goes against what we intuitively would do, right? I mean, we, we would do. <laughs> and this is just like, you know, not doing so much. The next step, they say, is take your time. If you're stuck in quicksand, frantic movements will only hurt your cause. Whatever you do, do it slowly. Slow movements will prevent you from agitating the quicksand. The vibrations caused by rapid movements can turn otherwise relative firm ground into more quicksand. More importantly, quicksand can react unpredictably to your movements. If you move slowly, you can more easily stop an adverse reaction and by doing so, avoid getting yourself stuck deeper. You're going to need to be patient. <laughs> Depending on how much quicksand is around you, it could take several minutes or even hours to slowly, methodic, method, methodically get yourself out. Well, does that sound true for you for some of the practice? <laughs> It can take a very long time with certain habits. And it leads a lot of patience to just be with them over and over and over again. And then the next one is get plenty of rest. Other than panic, exhaustion is your worst enemy. It's, you know, it's the striving. It's like not to strive, to really relax. Since it can take a long time to get yourself out of quicksand, be sure to take breaks and just float on your back if you feel your muscles getting tired. So that's, you know, if we're in struggle, it at times just really needs to place the attention somewhere and be with something that's more neutral or maybe even pleasant so at times the mind just can become more balanced again. So I think this is really quite an ordinary, like um, extraordinary example of, especially in those situations of great stress, what it takes is to trust, to pause, to relax, 
to breathe and then just to really slowly you know see what kind of actions will serve in my own practice i so often you know have kind of thought oh oh this this but let's quickly get back to the breath you know like let's fix this and then get back to this this sense of just really being with what is and at times just exploring and just you know just testing what works there's no right or wrong experience i know we keep on saying that but it's like it's the way we're relating to the experience that's important so i would like to finish tonight's talk with a poem probably most of you know but i still find it such a reminder of what acceptance means and it's Rumi, Rumi's poem, The Guest House. So, The Guest House. This being human is a guest house. Every morning, a new arrival. A joy, a depression, a meanness. Some momentary awareness comes as an unexpected visitor. Welcome and entertain them all, even if there are a crowd of sorrows who violently sleep, sweep your house, empty of its furniture, still treat each guest honorably. He may be clearing you out for some new delight. The dark thought, the shame, the malice, meet them at the door laughing and invite them in. Be grateful for whatever comes because each has been sent as a guide from beyond. So maybe we just sit for a little moment. And whatever is there right now, just let it be there. Be grateful for whatever comes, because each has been sent as a guide from beyond.